to rolling. What's happening, y'all? Andy and Zach. We're back at Zahn's Brewing here on your President's Day 2022. Oh, look at that. I forgot it's President's Day, actually. Yeah, man. And we are uh, just a day away from 2-22-22 on a Tuesday. I would have made it all the way through tomorrow without ever thinking about that. That was literally the first thing that came out of my client's mouth this morning. <laughs> I've got a full day tomorrow, too, so I'm going to be telling everybody. Be like, guess what day it is? Yeah, man. Also, a very special day. Two is my favorite number. If is I it had, now? If I had to pick a favorite number, yeah, two. Interesting. It's silly. When I was a kid, I had a little... Um, oh, I can't remember his name now, but... Uh, I see, like Rusty Wallace, race car, number two, race car, okay. like a, like a hot like a Hot Wheels, and it was my favorite toy, and it was just the number two race car, and my mom ran over it in the driveway, because I left it out, and she didn't see it, so she ran over it, and made me really sad. I got I got another one, but I don't know why. That reason my favorite number is two is because of a Hot Wheels race car when I was a kid growing up. Rusty Wallace. I'm pretty certain it was Rusty Wallace. Right on, man. Yeah, I can't say I have a favorite number, but... One, I've also never watched NASCAR in my life. Hmm. And yet, my favorite number comes from a NASCAR toy. <laughs> I don't know what that says about you, but... I don't know. This formative years when you're like, uh, I wasn't six yet, because we left that house before I was six. You also said that according to our metrics... Our second episode is the most popular. On my anchor metrics, yes. Number, <laughs> the episode number two is, my, is the most played episode of all of our episodes. Of, as of this recording, 58, number two is the most popular. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> and as you so eloquently put, we peaked. Hey. Probably. Hey. Peaked on the second episode. Now we're just coasting. Do you think, pod, surely podcasts fizzle out? You know, I think the statistic is is that the vast majority, something like, you know, well over 80% of podcasts don't make it past seven episodes. What? Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that you would even start if you only made it past seven. That uh, seems very short-lived. Like I don't incredibly know. Incredibly short-lived. Well, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I, this is my third podcast. What? Yeah, this is, my, this is my third. Third and longest podcast relationship. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's, it's tough. It's tough. When you're doing it by yourself and you don't have like a consistent schedule, uh, it's just like anything else. It just, it's very, very easy to fizzle out. And as opposed to something like a YouTube or even like social media, I think part of the you know, part of the deal with podcasting is, is that the consistency of a show is so huge. Mm. So huge. I mean, unless, unless you have very specific podcast show topics, you know, the real value for listeners is consistently tuning in. Okay. And when you're talking about, you know, podcasts being on the longer side of, you know, long form content, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to keep up with. So what you're saying is, if we started talking about murders, we could weasel our way into the murder podcast segment, niche market? Not only do I think that market is 
saturated? Far too saturated. <laughs> I think it's probably a little bit too big of a task, even for a couple of gym bros, gym bros like us to, yeah. to tackle. Now, maybe we could have a segment of like uh, murders that have happened. Like, uh, maybe I won't broach that subject. Um, let's just say that. Um, let's let's maybe get to uh, a couple hundred episodes of A to Z, and then maybe we'll talk about breaking out into other niche markets. Okay. Yeah. What if we just randomly picked a topic to do a deep dive every week? The most random, like unrelated. Kind of like, did you ever watch the show um, How It's Made? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is an incredible show because I have would have never thought about what goes into making a million things. And every time I watch it, I'm like, that's incredible. Yeah. I don't care that much about how, I don't know, ballpoint pens are made. But the show makes me care. I'm like, oh, very interesting. That's very cool. That's how they get their ink. Didn't know that. So, so what you're saying is, is you want to make random points on, on our podcast that is basically half made up of making random points? Yeah, basically. So let's just make more random do, points. I just want to do deep dives into random oh, things. Oh, okay. So yeah. more, more of a deep dive. Yeah. Uh, okay. Like why, well, this, could be a, uh, this could be a fitness related one. Why are some dumbbells hexagonal shaped? For the obvious, they don't so they roll. can lie flat on the ground. Right, so they don't roll away. Yeah. But well, then why would you make them where they can roll away? Have you ever deadlifted? Sorry, I'm like really off on a tangent already. Have you ever deadlifted with those um, octagonal shaped plates? Oh, yeah. Oh, such a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. Uh, lifetime. When I was about halfway through my time at Lifetime Fitness, we went from the round plates to the hexagonal Um, because I think I mentioned this before that particular gym used to be a different chain Mm. and Lifetime bought them out so a lot of our equipment was different than what you would find at a lot of other Lifetimes obviously a lot of like the nicer gyms so we were just using like old equipment for a long time and then they would phase in new pieces of equipment and I can remember when they brought in those hexagonal hexagonal where, where's my where's my emphasis I don't I don't know <laughs> um, yeah oh and I I hated it yeah I hated it but to this day I think the heaviest deadlift I ever pulled was on those okay yeah it's probably had something to do with those plates Maybe. There were lighter plates. But, uh, obviously, it was a pain in the ass when you would land on the corner. Yeah. And they would click, yeah. roll down like or roll, roll forward, yeah, roll, yeah, roll forward or back. Way. Well, and then you, every time you would stack them, you'd have to line them up. Like a, yeah. like a Rubik's Cube kind of. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's a pain. Hmm. How about that? How it's made. Hex, hexagonal plates. Hexagonal plates. In fairness, I, I prefer hexagonal shaped dumbbells and round plates mm-hmm. but that's because that's what i own in my own gym so right did you ever use uh plate loaded dumbbells i've seen them but i've never used them like the rogue ones um rogue makes them sure yeah right well are you talking about fixed like fixed weight not where you could add plates mm, so 
basically what I'm what I'm referring to is when I was growing up, the my dad's weight set. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I don't know just, if I've ever worked out with them, but I know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, it was just a handle, and with a screw, with the, the screw, the screw, and yeah, and you could just load plates on, right, and right, then right. take the yeah, the swivel. Rogue Fitness makes thing, those now, and just spin it. Yeah, all the way on and. Click them on tight, and you've seen the rogue ones. Those are fun. Rogue actually has like sleeves and collars and everything to do I, that to do exactly that. I didn't know that. Yeah, but I mean that would make sense um, for most people who have plates laying around and don't necessarily have the need to buy a whole set of dumbbells. Right. So, speaking of weird dumbbell shapes, the Dumbbells that I have in my gym, the dumbbells that I'm preferential to are hexagonal shaped. And as they get bigger, the two ends of the dumbbell just get larger in volume, almost three-dimensionally. Right. At the gym in Knoxville that I would work out in, the dumbbells were not hexagonal shaped. They were round. And they increased in weight by adding equally wide, equal, equal diameter plates to the li- to lengthwise. the length, so lengthwise, <laughs> dude, I love those. And I like I like them too. It would be comical at the 120 pound level, yeah, yeah, because the weight stack on one side was like a foot long per side. Yeah. So when you're doing like dumbbell pressing, I I never press the 120s, but imagine when you're doing dumbbells with 120s, you really have to orient them a certain way because a giant thing is sticking out of one side of your hand, and you have to like manage it's that. Like a in log. Space. It's a big log, basically. Yeah. I thought those were really funny. Yeah. They were uh, all the same diameter, regardless of the weight. Right. But very long. <laughs> on the other hand, it would be cool to put, like, 45-pound plates on a dumbbell handle. And you just, like, row some... The only if you're, like, with, rowing 90... Well, the only problem with that is the plate would probably run into, like, your... Like, you'd, you'd stop short because it hit you in the chest. Or something, or hit yeah. you in the hip because it's so wide. It's certainly not practical. I'm it just, really isn't. Right? That's why I'm, the rogue ones I mentioned. I'm, just using my imagination. Yeah, that's why I haven't bought those because of that <laughs> exact reason. Because I'm like, that seems impractical. Plus, all the all the plates that you'd have to buy to make those viable are terribly expensive. A pair of ten pound, yeah. like the smaller ten pound plates at Rogue, a pair is like eighty dollars. It's ridiculous. Wow. So you'd have to own a bunch of them in order to make dumbbells that were worthwhile. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Just kettlebells, barbells at that point. Right, right. Mm. Okay. Mm. <laughs> well, here we are. Talking about fitness? Here we are talking about fitness. We're creeping up on 60 episodes. I'm, just, I'm having a little, little nostalgia. Um, because again, we're talking about February 22nd is obviously tomorrow. Mm. Uh, the 26th, I believe is Friday, Saturday. Or is it? Today's the 22nd. Tomorrow's the 22nd. Or is it? Uh, 26th is Saturday. 26th is Saturday. Yeah. So Saturday will be the one year of my, uh, anniversary of my leg break. Mm. Yeah. And you were, I mean, your leg looks pretty good. You're doing pistol squats. Yep. Yep. And you were dragging that sled Sunday? Sled yesterday. drag feels good. 
You know, the sled drag was the first exercise I really tried my hand at when I could, like, obviously start to walk, mm. you know, again. You know, like, I, I, I've, I was lucky in the sense that I was able to continue to do, like, knee-dominant exercises. So leg uh, curl and leg extension, I was on pretty hardcore pretty early on in my recovery, mm. which is why, thankfully, I had kind of minimal quad atrophy, mm. but quite a lot of calf atrophy. Sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the sled drag was kind of the first thing that I really started working on um, last year when I could get back up on two feet again. It will never cease to amaze me. I don't consider myself all that big in terms of like muscular development. I don't think I'm all that big. I'm not. Compared to some of the dudes that we see in Gym 5, I'm very average. That said, it is incredible all the, all the routine work that I do just to maintain my level of, of, of bigness of my fitness. Because then when you lose it, like when you broke your leg and when I tore my arm, it is incredible how things shrink. You know? It's crazy. You're like, wait a second. I, all that effort was just maintaining all that mass. And I know that because now I have none of it. It's shriveled away. It, like, well, I, to quote Steve Carell, is it true that if you don't use it, you <laughs> lose it? <laughs> is that a serious question? That's an interesting point, man. Well, yeah, and we know from... Uh, folks that go up into space, mm-hmm. like their muscle goes fast, right? Real fast. I just, it, I think it's some. I would not advocate getting hurt and losing progress just so that you can have perspective. But it is incredible how on the day to day when you're training all the time, you and I live this lifestyle. We train every day or most every day. And sometimes things move in the right direction and sometimes things feel a little bit stagnant or whatever. But really, we're talking about trying to push the, the upper limits of our physical development. We're, we're flirting with our upper limits of physical development. Whereas it's like if we just quit training, everything would just go to shit very quickly. It's just incredible the amount of effort. On the one hand, to feel like I'm not going anywhere but as soon as I quit that effort, it just slides. It's a, just a landslide of muscle loss. It's insane. <laughs> it's crazy. And so then I'm like, okay, all this effort is worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Well, the human organism is a supremely efficient thing. You know, it's, uh, there's, there's uh, very little waste. You know, so yeah, if you don't yeah. uh, if you don't if you don't need it, we're not going to waste energy keeping it. Right. You know that 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 kind of thing. Yeah, and that's what you know. I have to tell my clients that too. Like, I think the, if we had and to, again on the other side, if you have a hundred extra calories, we're keeping that, right. aren't we? Right. <laughs> yeah, your body loves to keep it or to to take it and keep it. Yep. It doesn't like to spend it. Right. And muscle is metabolically expensive. Yeah, very expensive. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's why I tell my clients, like, investing time and energy and effort into building muscle mass and building strength is a worthwhile endeavor because if you ever end up losing it for a period of time, you can gain it back a lot faster. It's a lot easier. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, costs a lot to maintain it. So you can almost live, like, in terms of, like, eating, you can eat more when you have a lot of muscle mass because your body will use it. Yeah. It's kind of nice. Yeah. And not to go down a another rabbit hole before, rabbit hole before we really miss the mark again for the third week in a row. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but there's uh, there's kind of a I, I've um, I kind of go through phases of like really nerding out on nutrition, mm-hmm. nutritional science, uh, diet approaches. Um, and just kind of the, the things that people are up to in the, you know, culture of, of fitness. But um, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is kind of the fundamental difference between getting in a calorie deficit from obviously eating less and not training or not increasing resistance or cardio mm-hmm. versus maintain versus eating at maintenance or or even like eating like above your you know BMR maintenance um, but creating a calorie deficit through training okay through resistance training and through cardio now historically at least from a lot of the you know uh, coaches and resources that you know I've followed and that I've learned from a lot of times you know we we hear like you can't out train a bad diet sure and that's I think that fundamental sentiment still holds very very true but there's something to be said about giving your body an adequate amount of nutrients both macro and micronutrients Mm -hmm. and spending it to create a calorie deficit to achieve weight loss if that's your goal through activity increased physical activity versus continuing to create a caloric deficit just by eating less right um so i've i've kind of come to a a new appreciation for cardio Mm -hmm. for steady state cardio um not only for the health and performance benefits that you get out of the activity just for itself but also how you can create a calorie deficit for weight loss body composition change if that's your goal because it still allows you to give your body more nutrients like point blank so um that's something that i've been thinking about a lot lately is even though you're you're theoretically going to burn off those calories through through cardio it's still so important to give your body so much you know as much both macro and micronutrients as you can i'm glad you brought that up because i think if not universally almost universally every single study that i've ever seen about dietary and exercise interventions and weight loss the 
and this is sort of piggybacking off your point, the diet group always loses the most amount of weight. In other words, they have a group of participants in a massive study, and the only thing that they do with that group is intervene with their caloric intake. That group always loses the most amount of weight. The second group is exercise only. So you have a, you have a dietary intervention, you have an exercise only. The exercise only group usually loses the least amount of weight. The, if you have a third group that does both exercise and dietary intervention, loses some weight, like, like the medium, they're like second place in terms of weight loss. But what's important about that group is when you do the combination of caloric restriction and physical activity, increased physical activity, those, even though they didn't lose the most amount of weight, they tend to keep it off long term. So you, um, in terms of overall strategies, to your point, you can only cut calories so low. You can only just keep bottoming out. And, and I tell my clients this who are trying to, to get lean or trying to lean up, they're like, well, if I can eat 1,800 calories, why not just 1,200 just to like reach the goal faster? And I understand that sentiment. I really do. I get it. But at the same time, I'm like, if we bottom you out from the get-go, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. And also, like, that's really hard to sustain. That's a miserable existence right. to, to eat 1,000 calories a day in an effort to lose a bunch of weight. Like, it, it's possible. It will work. But it's not su- sustainable, and you're likely not going to, to keep it off. Right. So why, let's not starve ourselves into leanness. Let's coax ourselves into lean, leanness over the long haul so that when you get there and you feel comfortable, it feels like routine. It's, yeah. it's your normal routine. There's nothing crazy about it. We're not being ultra restrictive. You know, we're not skipping birthday parties and drinks out with friends all the time because we're in this ultra restrictive diet phase or whatever. We're learning how to live with a different lifestyle than we had six months or 12 months ago and be comfortable here at a comfortable weight. Yeah. Um, so I always caution my clients when they're when they're really gung ho and they're like, I'm just going to slash calories in half. I'm like, pump the, pump the brakes. I get yeah. it. I do. But let's not do that. Yeah. You know, and I think there is a time and a place for aggressive caloric deficit, for sure. But it is a temporary strategy. Right. You know, and um, I think it's just important to, to have that mindset of, like, what's temporary? What's, like, an ex- what's like a, a hardcore experiment mm-hmm. versus what is my baseline lifestyle? Right. Um, so, yeah, man, that's, that's just... Uh, Something I've been thinking about lately and thinking about how that translates into how I'm how I'm coaching my clients. Right. You know, especially at the especially at the outset <clears throat> through those first like couple months. So I think I'm going to be kind of moving to a model for a lot of people to where like I'd almost rather see a month or two of momentum training wise before we ever even talk about nutrition. Oh, I've always done that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I tell all my new clients like that. They're, they're like, I want to lose a bunch of weight. And da, da, da. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I won't, I don't tell them how we're going to do it, but I advise, I encourage. I'm like, okay, we can do this one of two ways. We can either shelf the nutrition part for a minute 
I just want you to get in and start working out. Let's just make being consistent with workouts routine. One less thing you got to worry about is show up. Once you show up, we're going to get good work in. So there's that. When you're ready to introduce the nutrition piece, I will be there to help coach you through this. But I will also shoulder the burden of your at least your big heavy workouts, like in the gym with the weights. That's my, that's my job. That's what you're hiring me for. You don't have to worry about that. I got you. But on your own, increase your daily step count. You know, go for multiple walks. Um, maybe introduce some cardio. Maybe throw in an extra workout if it afford, like if you can afford it in your schedule. But it's we're taking one thing at a time. It's not, hey, you're going to be working out twice a week with me. I need you to go on a daily walk for at least 30 minutes. I need you to add a workout to your, you know, I've seen you twice. I need you to go on a third. Also, I need you to start cutting calories right and left. I'm not like that at all. Mostly because I just think it's too much too soon. So I'm like, let's just, just show up. Yeah. Let's make this routine. And once this is easy and it's going, we'll move on to the next thing. We'll yeah. tack it on. Yeah. Yeah. And specifically, I kind of uh, have heard from a few different bodybuilding, you know, resources about, about this idea of, um, you know, using, obviously, especially in that world, steady state cardio to create more of a deficit. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those... I, Maybe I really haven't mentioned it too much, but that was kind of one of my New Year's resolutions to to add some more uh, uh, low intensity, steady state cardio to my routine. And so now we're you know coming up on two months in, and I've been very surprised at how easy it's been because mm. I have never ever been one to spend thirty minutes on the treadmill. Oh, I like it. Or on the elliptical. And now, you know, it's, it's as routine almost as any other part of my, uh, my training, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, I mean, I think if you have something interesting to listen to or something interesting to watch on your phone, mm-hmm. man, half an hour goes by like that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, and anecdotally, like, I feel better, um, and yeah, I think that's going to be something that I'm going to really try to, again, just kind of incorporate into my, into my lifestyle, mm-hmm. like these just half hour blocks of cardio. Right. Um, and again, if I'm, you know, specifically for body composition purposes, half an hour of LISS, it's not that many calories, you know, whatever. But, uh, but again, I think at the end of the day, there's probably a, a fundamental physiological difference between eating a certain amount of calories, let's say like, you know, if we're talking about like, let's just say 2000, I think there's a fundamental difference between eating 2000 calories a day and burning off 500 mm-hmm. versus eating 1500 and not burning anything off. I agree. Yeah. Well, you get the supplemental, like, uh, advantages of physical activity there's that right and i think probably from the actual intake i think there's probably a lot of benefit there as well yeah i would agree with that you know because because again you know i think the, i think the fundamental like core idea of what i'm talking about here is that food is more than just calories right calories burned calories taken in um so the more nutrients we can give our body 
obviously the better. Speaking of nutrients, I'm going to hit up Ken for another one of these stouts. Yes, thank you. Um, no, I, I would agree with you. I, I think um, if, I, if I could, in a perfect world, this is going to sound super idealistic and unrealistic, but in a perfect world, I almost wish that nutrition and fitness were like uh, mutually exclusive. For, for mm. what you mentioned, like food is not just calories in, you know, there's culture and social and comfort and like all, you know, with it wrapped up in food and then fitness should be an exploration and enjoyment. Thank you, Ken, of, of your, your body's physical I'm capabilities, good, you know? Yeah. So I know that they're intertwined and that's why you can't separate them out. But I almost wish we could sort of put blinders on like when we're doing fitness, do fitness for the sake of fitness, when we're eating food eat food for the sake of eating food if you have body composition goals within some parameters you have to unfortunately same with fitness you can't just do and be all the things like there have to be some parameters volume intensity frequency so on and so forth same with food though so yeah um and i do caution my clients because i think sometimes we overestimate what physical activity does in terms of caloric expenditure I equipped before with clients, like a, a donut is what? Let's say a donut's 300 calories. Uh-huh. Do you know how long it takes to burn off 300 calories with physical activity? I think if you're walking, my guess would be something on the order of like uh, an hour to an hour and a half. I'd say probably more than that. 300 calories. 300 calories. I'd say it's a lot more than probably about four hours worth of walking. Oh, really? Well, I'll put it this way. Sprinting, sprinting. Mm. Like all out, full speed, sprint. Yeah. 10 calories a minute. Oh, wow. Yeah. So can you sprint for 30 minutes? No. No. Not, no nobody not. can. Yeah. So the point being, I've, I've always, if it comes down to if we're going to weigh food versus physical activity... It's a lot easier to skip the donut than it is to sprint for 30 minutes. Right, right. And the crazy, and we've probably talked about this, the craziest part is, to me, more people will try the sprint for 30 minutes approach than they will avoid the donut. Right. Well, without going down a couple more rabbit right. holes, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of have to toe a fine line between, like, being, being you know, not an automaton, not a drill instructor. Sure. But also saying like, hey, there's also a time and a place to like hold your feet to the fire with exercising some self-discipline. Sure. With like not being addicted to sugar, which that can be a whole triggering conversation in and of itself. Right. And we're going to have a nutritionist on the show next month Okay. Where so yeah. we, we might can hash some of these some of these ideas some of these ideas out. Um, but I I can't let this story go untold. Um, when I did my RKC certification, mm. the the big kettlebell three day cert the notorious three day Russian kettlebell certification back in the day. Um, I actually did one of the very last ones that uh, Pavel Tsatsulin himself was like there and actually taught at it. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, before, before they split for, for Strong First. 
Um, and my, um, my lead instructor on my team uh, was Max Shank, who is a notoriously um, strong dude. Right. He's also very out there. We'll talk off air about that. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, he's one of my very favorite people. One of my very favorite coaches. Okay. Um, but all that being said, there that was kind of towards the tail end of some of the more wacky, let's say, hazing-esque okay. stuff that would go on at some of these um, at some of these events. And one of the big themes there was you can't um, outsnatch a donut. Hmm. You know, because everybody was, you know, so afraid of the five minute snatch test. And I think one of the ideas they were trying to, you know, convey is like, hey, it's not that bad. Like literally eating a donut is like, you know, maybe like worse for you than doing like a five minute snatch test. And to like prove it, here's the donut math. Here's the snatch math, mm. blah, blah, blah. So um, I only found out about this later from some of the other instructors, but there was, uh, there was a few guys who were just cutting up and not taking the certification seriously. Which is weird, because I feel like the RKC certification is like one of the hardest on the planet, unless these guys are just that fit. I think the guys were that fit, and I think that they were, um, you know. Douchebags? Yeah. Okay, for fair sure. enough. There's, so there's in any plenty case, of those out there. So in any case, apparently these guys were like causing a hard, you know. We, causing a scene. Causing a scene or, you know, giving a hard time to the instructors or whatever. So they singled those guys out to come up for this demonstration of you can't outsnatch a donut. So they said, okay, you three guys are going to come up here and you're going to start kettlebell snatching. While Max Schenk enjoys his donut. <laughs> so you don't stop until Max is done with his donut. Okay. So as you can imagine, hilarity ensued. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those those guys were were hurting. Well, I were imagine. Hurting by the end of uh, you know the very slow the chewing and the and you know all the theatrics that, that sure. went along that went along with it. Um, so that was, um, that's the scene that is the imagery that always sticks in my mind when someone says that you can't out-exercise a bad diet, mm. which on the one hand is true, but on the other hand, um, I- I'm coming to a little bit more nuance with that whole idea, but I will always remember these guys just dying under these kettlebell snatches and Max Shank eating his donut <coughs> in front of the whole crowd nice yeah i like that yeah so that was fun so shall we talk about general physical preparedness yeah gpp 35 minutes in yeah you know me yeah (laughs) gpp general physical preparedness all right so i throw around this term not not really all the time but i throw it around as if i know exactly how it's defined and I just admitted off air that I'm not exactly sure I have a clear and concise definition of what GPP or general physical, I call it preparation, you call it preparedness, general physical preparedness 
What would be a clear and concise definition of GPP? Man, I don't know if I have one. I guess uh, I have a analogy, maybe. Okay. That I'm pretty sure I've heard from Dan John, which is if you have a car full of groceries and you live on the third floor, mm. GPP is the ability to take all your groceries in in one trip. In one trip. No breaks. No second trip. Okay, I like that term. And the ability to take every bag in individually. I don't I don't follow that part. So Oh like you can take them oh take them all at once. Right? Or So that's like one end of the spectrum. Right. Or Go down to the car, get one bag, go all the way up to the third floor, drop it off, come back down, get one bag, go all the way up to the third floor, come back down. Okay. Right. I get you. Can, yeah. can you do both of those things? I, fo- I follow you. All right. Yeah. So I'm glad that you put it in those terms because I would have defined it as some level of absolute strength, some level of capacity. Um, like intermediate capacity, I would say more like, um, I would call it alactic or, or whatever, medium term, three to five minutes yep. movement, and then long term. So basically be able to move hard and fast a handful of times, be able to move medium for about five-ish minutes, and be able to move pretty well for about 30-plus minutes, yep. if I had to put it in like performance terms. So, an example might be, can you deadlift? You know, I would say for general population, if you could deadlift your own body weight about 10 times, I think that's, you're probably pretty good. Yeah. For general, for everyday living, if you can pick up your own body weight off the ground about 10 times, probably pretty good. So, that's like one end of the spectrum. If you could, if you could deadlift... And then let's say you had to like you know your your body weight ten times, and then you had to do like push ups, and then let's say you, you went from push ups to like chin ups. Let's say you had a little circuit going, and you weren't sucking wind for ten straight minutes between. Like you could move casually from one to the next. I think that would be pretty good. Again, checking a lot of boxes for general everyday life. Yeah. And if you can go for, let's say a fast paced walk, for twenty plus minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as I was thinking about this, I think it's it should be pretty obvious that if you're starting from like a zero baseline, any exercise at all, any activity Vast at all improvement. contributes to this idea of GPP. Right. General physical preparedness. It could be anything. I think I think the trick is is understanding where activity turns into specialization. Okay. Because that's, I think that's the key. I think the key is getting in um, as much training variety or let's maybe also say a few exercises done to a high degree that don't create over-specialization. In other words, you're not trying to build everybody into a power lifter. 
Right. So that's the idea. So speaking to your point about like deadlifting your body weight 10 times, you've got the skill of the hip hinge. Sure. You've got grip strength. Sure. You've got spinal erector strength. Mm -hmm. Obviously you've got core engagement, all of that stuff. 10 reps at your body weight. That's, that's great. When you start going much beyond that, like I would maybe also say on that same spectrum, maybe two times body weight once. Okay. You know? Fair, fair enough. Okay. So, something like that. Because I think a lot of people, I'm, he- I'm hesitant to say most people, <laughs> but a lot of people could probably achieve that. Double body weight for one, one deadlift. With consistent training for a while, I would agree with that. For sure. Right. So I'm maybe flirting with the line here, maybe because I come from a powerlifting background. Sure. But once you get much past double body weight, you're talking about real specialization. Sure. I would agree with that. Where cost benefit starts to... Oh, I love... Okay. Starts to get a little little skewed. I have an example of this, but I'll, I'll let you do your thing. No, that's... I think that's really it because, again... Coming back to what I said before, if we're starting at zero, anything creates yields great benefit. Sure. If we push so far into a particular exercise or or into a particular training methodology, depending on what it is, it goes from building capacity in a holistic way. Sure. To specializing in a more narrow track right you sort of squeeze out other qualities for the sake of one right and so depending on the exercise you're talking about or depending on the training parameters you're talking about that that line in the sand of specialization or over specialization can be in different places and i think that's why a lot of exercises that are labeled as good for GPP um, are, are interesting because they, they cover a lot of ground. So mm. I think one of the obvious examples is like loaded carries. Sure. Loaded carries builds grip strength, shoulder, trap strength, obviously your core bracing. I was going to say, I've never gotten more yoked than from doing heavy farmer's carries. Right. You've got a cardiovascular component. Yep. You're walking around, so that's something. That's like hip stability. Badass when you're doing it. Yeah, and it has a point. You know, it obviously has a point in diminishing returns, but you're limited by your grip strength. So it's almost, you know, until you really start going hardcore, Mm -hmm. it's like you can really push farmer carry hard and still not worry about over specializing. Sure. To, to some, to some degree. Well, and the nice thing about a farmer, at least in this example, the farmer's carry is the the learning curve is so small. Right. Like, deadlifting at all is a skill that you learn. Well, let's let's say deadlifting half your body weight is one thing. Deadlifting 100... one times your body weight or 100% of your body weight is a different thing, slightly different, same, same family, same ballpark. Deadlifting two times or three times your body weight is, I, I would not argue, I tell my clients this all the time, everything that we do in the gym is more or less a matter of scale, right? Like a body weight squat, a goblet squat, a safety squat, they're not all exactly the same, but they're all squats. They're all good work. 
barbell squatting three times body weight on your back is a little different ball game. And to your point, that's when we get really narrow in our specialization. So like being able to squat and squat well and do it a number of times and it looks good, feels good, that's, that's awesome. Covers a lot of ground, checks a lot of boxes. But I would not argue that a 135 pound back squat is anything like a 700 pound back squat. Right. It's not. Right. I, I'm gonna go, I've never even competed at a level where I could even touch 700 pounds ever in my life. But I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that squatting 700 and squatting 135 are not the same. Right. It's a barbell back squat, and I would argue that they're not the same. They're just not. Right. And yeah, so, it's, it's like driving around the neighborhood versus being what an NASCAR no, number two, number two, uh, Rusty Wallace. Rusty Wallace. <laughs> yeah. It is like that. You know, it's like getting your driver's license at sixteen yeah. versus being Rusty Wallace. Right. It is very much like that. It, 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 and I wish that it wasn't because because then it would be awesome because I could just plug and play and learn how to lift seven hundred pounds on my back. That's never going to happen in my life. It's just not. So we're getting a little off track but to your point and and this is this is actually happening with anthony actually we talked about on the podcast last week we would stake um anthony and i have decided that we're going to drive his deadlift and his squat now the way we're doing it we're we're playing with 85 percent plus of his one rep max or theoretical max um and right now it's working very well he squatted 300 for a single single and six today because i had him pegged at 315 as a max and we were at 95 percent so 300 for a single single and six great and it looked great it it flew honestly number six was probably he could have probably ground out seven i was with him anyway point being is we've decided that this is the path that we're going to go down knowing full well that there's a cost to other qualities that we might want to pursue. So going back to the whole point of GPP, if you want to have a stellar squat in the 300s, 400s plus, that's fine. That's a great goal. And you're going to be hella strong and probably probably be fine. But we can't also train all these other qualities to the same aggressive extent because you're the hum- you're only human. You can only handle so much total load, total stress, whatever. You can't just squat 300, deadlift 400, bench 250, and be able to... I mean, some people can, but they dedicate their lives to training like that. For everyday normal people, we- there's a give and take. A yin and yang. Yeah. We're going to squeeze out other qualities for the sake of a singular pursuit. And that's fine. We just have to have that conversation. To quote Daft Punk, you are human, after all. Oh. What if I wanted to quote Rob Zombie and say, more human than human? <laughs> I was hoping you were going to come back with that. Oh, man. We're having a good time. Good times. Good times. Yeah, man. Um, so I... I uh, steal this imagery a little bit from Dave Whitley. Did you just say steal? Yeah. Not stole. I, well, I'm currently stealing. Oh, you said stealed. I'm pretty sure. Did I say stealed? We're going to listen back later. I'm pretty certain you said I stealed. (laughs) I steal. Well, I was also (laughs) pushing 
I was also doing like a little mini dip on the chair okay. to reestablish my my hip position here on the chair. So, so I may have I may have like I may have just coughed and and given the extra ED at the end of that. Maybe that I was just gonna say you were word. devoting your mental capacity to your physical abilities and not your mental capacity. <laughs> that's often that's that's my <laughs> daily. Andy, that's my daily. Can bench press but not have a conversation <laughs> at the same time? Dude, you can, you can take one or the other. What Dude, I'm want? the same way. Like, if you see me in the gym working with clients and you see me counting on fingers, it's because I can't have a conversation and count at the same time. You know, I almost shared a post that I saw on uh, the Huberman podcast um, Instagram, if you're familiar with the nope. Huberman podcast. I only listen to our podcast. Good man, bump those. We got to bump those. Gotta numbers. get those metrics up. <laughs> um, but there was a there was a post that he um, put up from some other doctor that was something like the two most something like metabolically uh, expensive tasks for the brain is learning something new and like hard physical activity. You know, since really? the brain actually works hard. Um, in that respect. Well, central nervous system. Right. Powers everything. So I'm sure there's some gray area and some nuance in there that's over my head. But yeah, you can, uh, you can ask me to uh, pound weights or do calculus, but I cannot do both. <sighs> so I made my choice. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. I made my choice. I forgot where I was going. Oh, so this, uh, this imagery or this... Uh, this uh, this analogy that I kind of stole from uh, Dave Whitley. Maybe maybe you heard stole because I was about to say Dave and I was pronouncing the D. I am almost a hundred percent certain you said steal, but okay, <laughs> we will. I'll go with it for now until later when I listen back. Hey, I've also I'm also down a whole only a beer. I'm one and a half in. Brother, I'm a lightweight. I know all that. All that to say, um. If you if you imagine your physical capability as like uh, like the we'll say like the core of an apple, or you know if you're thinking about like a 360 degree sphere, mm-hmm. your your capabilities, your comfort zone, let's say, is like here, and then when you train, you train to expand that comfort zone, okay, right, just a little bit here. Now the outer edges of the sphere are where you go beyond that. You exit the atmosphere, you get hurt. Oh, I use the I use the analogy of a cup, or yeah, you're. I I do it all the time. You have a cup. Your cup is this big. Our training goal every time I see you is to to make a bigger cup. Expand the cup, right? Yeah. Same same general idea. So so instead of a pint glass. Das boot. <laughs> right. Right. Let's, let's turn your shot glass into one of these uh, kegerators that uh, Ken yeah, has behind giant the bar. kegs, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, all that to say, GPP, I think, is this idea of just taking this comfort zone or this zone of training and expanding it circumferentially or, sure. or, or in all directions in a somewhat of a proportionate amount now at a certain point when you're working on one particular lift or modality that goes from a ever expanding ball or circle like a balloon like a balloon into a line right because you're 
you're specializing in a relatively narrow area. Sure. And you're and you're pushing it that way. Sure. Right. So some people, if your sphere is small and you start specializing too soon, too fast, you you pop that balloon and you get hurt. Okay. Right. So this is what we're always navigating: is how are we maybe specializing in the short term? Sure. How are we conditioning ourselves generally in the long term to expand that core, that core sphere? So. You know, one, you being a kettlebell nerd, the kettlebell swing and the Turkish getup are touted as like the peanut butter and jelly of GPP. And I think to a large extent, that's true Mm. because you can kind of push both. I should say this. You don't have to push either very hard to get a lot of benefit. Sure. Both in terms of work capacity, endurance, strength, mobility, balance, almost any other physical attribute that you want to layer in there to a large degree. So that's one of the reasons why I'm still just fundamentally a kettlebell nerd because I think we can just take a handful of not just kettlebell exercises, but really the things that those two exercises represent, which sure. is hip extension. Repetitive, um, explosive hip extension, yeah. Repetitive, explosive hip extension. Um, and then like with the getup, we've got floor work, we've got single leg work, we've got overhead mobility Shoulder. and stability and right. dynamics. So it's not, I, I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to get too caught up in just like, I'm a, kettlebell nerd but rather i like to use the kettlebell to facilitate these gpp principles sure which are squat hinge power overhead mechanics mobility all that stuff and if we could package those neatly into a handful of exercises all the better You and I have talked extensively about my lack of content creation, in part because I would consider myself very much a generalist. I don't specialize in powerlifting. I don't specialize in bodybuilding. I don't specialize in kettlebells. To me and to the people that I serve, they are all tools and methodologies that are useful at certain times. To go back to your point, G- so okay so let's imagine gpp is a sphere or let's say a balloon and every time especially if you just started training every time you show up to the gym we're trying to blow a little more air into that balloon and a little more air and a little more air and a little more air so we're moving in a lot of different directions we're trying to train a lot of different qualities that we think would be useful for just everyday living to your point as soon as you start to specialize things sort of narrow down. I think of, um, I think of exercise as this balloon, just general exercise, stuff that we do to break a sweat, breathe heavy, you know, contract some muscles. I think of exercise as a circle or a sphere, and we try to expand it a little bit. And I think of training like a vector, a point with magnitude and direction. We, we have a starting point and we have magnitude and direction. If you remember math. Brother. You are challenging the outer limits of my 
cognitive abilities, okay. but, but I'm with you for the ride. Okay. So training would be a vector. You have a starting point and you have magnitude and direction. We are trying to do very singular activities to drive a very specific adaptation. Mm-hmm. All that said, part of the reason that I remain a generalist and a lot of things that I do is because it gives, it frees me frame of reference. Mm-hmm. In other words, power lifters don't give a shit about your Turkish get-up. Kettlebell people don't give a shit about your bench press. CrossFit people don't give a shit about your one rep max deadlift or whatever. Point being is if you have a certain faction or viewpoint or frame of reference, certain activities are valuable and do the job and others are not. I try to free myself of those restrictions, those lenses I had this conversation today, literally about the Turkish get-up with a client. She has been doing, um, I don't have kettlebells that are lighter than 25, and she's not quite strong enough for that yet. But she can rock the 15-pound dumbbell easy, no problem. Her technique is awesome. She's great. The 20-pound dumbbell, was the, today was the first day where she felt comfortable allowing me to spot her. And we started um, up top because she was having trouble getting off the ground. So I was like, let's just start at the top position, work our way to the floor, and if you feel good, we'll take it back up. So that's what, we, that's what we did today, and it worked great. But we had a discussion about it, that she would not be comfortable with that much weight in her hand in the Turkish get-up without me, mm-hmm. without me spotting. And so we were talking about, on her own, how she would go about practicing her Turkish get-ups, and I was like, well depends on what we're trying to accomplish are we trying to get really heavy with our turkish get up or are we just trying to move well and move confidently through each position and not lose it in it's a it's a it's a good question because mm-hmm. it's relevant to her goals and the time that she spends in the gym yeah so all that is to say there's a lot of good qualities about powerlifting. there's a lot of good qualities about uh bodybuilding there's a lot of good qualities about kettlebells and you know whatever whatever I'm not trying to pigeonhole my clients into a certain modality when there's plenty of options out there, especially if the ultimate goal is just general physical preparation, just, just be overall a more badass physical specimen. There's a lot of different tools to get the job done. And so I try to free myself of any sort of frame of reference, and I, just, I look at the tool, and I look at the individual, and I'm like, what can we do now that looks good, feels good, is safe, and is, is progressive and efficient in terms of time and energy spent doing it. Mm-hmm. In other words, sorry, I don't find the Turkish get-up to be a super efficient use of my time for most people most of the time. Yeah. So to kind of play off of everything you said there, uh, I would consider myself very much in the same vein. I am very much a generalist. And, and that's like a guiding principle behind all of my programming, really. Um, right, inside bar. I wouldn't, I'm not trying to paint you as a kettlebell. No, owner, no, no, right? no, I know. I, I no, do no, know I that know. about you, yeah. Yes, and an ignorant listener might, might have. Right, I'm not trying to paint you as that, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. What I would say is, is that I have gotten to the point where, like, like the quote-unquote speciality of kettlebell training, I've hacked down into its constituent parts 
and reconfigured it so much that I, I can use it, I, I can express the GPP principle in so many different ways through that lens of like kettlebell training. Sure. So like, for example, you're exactly right. Like I, I would not try to fit a square peg into a round hole and spend a lot of time on the Turkish getup with a lot of clients. But for example, I think, I think if you're not as big of a nerd as me, and, and I've done this with like so many different lifts, you might think of the Turkish getup as like this kind of one, kind of this one big lift, this sure. one big kind of convoluted, complex lift. I actually see it as about two dozen different pieces that I can break down. Right. So, so for me with someone, with someone like that is I kind of, it's just from years of working with so many different types of people on all this stuff, I can take six months and do various floor work, overhead work, half kneeling work that builds our GPP balloon mm -hmm. without hammering on the getup itself. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because in a certain way, you could also say that something like the getup is an expression of kind of a more specialized skill mm -hmm. because it is, especially to me. Like, you got to be pretty exact. But to actually train the qualities that we're after with the getup, which is overhead strength, mm -hmm. overhead stability, hip strength, hip stability, this cross body coordination, mm -hmm. our core strength, our ability to roll, already there, I could rattle off, you know, well over 20 exercises and 20 drills that we could work on and incorporate in a very user and beginner friendly manner over the course of months that would go into training the get up without the client even knowing that that's what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I, how I balance between both of these worlds, between, <coughs> between especially for like marketing purposes, like on the internet, I'm very much the kettlebell guy. But being the kettlebell guy, there's only so many kettlebell exercises. But again, what I've tried to do over the course of years and working with so many different people is just taking the essence of what we're actually training, which again, which is just like how we said before, with a swing, we've got hip extension, work capacity, blah, 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 all that stuff. With a get up, all that stuff. And so then I just think about how do I keep people moving? Because mm -hmm. that's the biggest critique I have of my contemporaries in the kettlebell space. Mm. Too much of this. Oh, yeah. Like, listen. Uh, well, listen. It's in every, yeah. You want to talk? Start a podcast. <laughs> okay? You want to talk? Start a podcast. You want to train somebody? Keep them moving. Right. Give them cues here and there, but keep them moving. So, like, your exercise selection should supersede the need for cueing. Okay. In other words, make it so... Simple and easy and straightforward that you don't need a cue. Exactly. I agree with that. Exactly. Yeah. And you just build people through that, mm -hmm. through very precise exercise selection mm -hmm. that, again, keeps people moving and has them teaching themselves 
or really have the ex the nature of the exercise teach the person. Right. I like that because it. I, I think in our industry it's rampant. We confuse complexity with good training. Yeah. 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 So, if it's if it looks and feels too simple, it can't be good. And I wholeheartedly disagree. I think you would too. The simpler, the better, because it means that we are working and working well now. We're getting comfortable now. And in this week, next week, and the following week, we're scaling already. We're already pushing boundaries in terms of abilities because I didn't give you something so complex that we have to take weeks to, to work on. A perfect example would be Olympic lifting. That's a perfect example. Olympic lifts are cool. I, I enjoy them. I really do. But I'm not that good at them, and I'm not a great coach. And so unless it's a very – talk about very like specificity, talk about being very narrow, Olympic lifting is one of those things that if we decide that we want to go down that road, A, I'm going to refer you out because I'm not the coach for that. And, and B, I don't see the ROI for what we're, the qualities that we're trying to get out of it for the time invested for mo- most people most of the time. If you're a CrossFit athlete or if you're an Olympic athlete or you just love Olympic lifting, great. I will send you to somebody who's more qualified. But if you just want to dabble in it, I'm going to give you box jumps, broad jumps, squat jumps, something that looks similar to what we're trying to train so that we can be making progress now. Yep. Yeah, Olympic lifting is a perfect example. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I meant to talk about Olympic lifting, but about halfway through this beer, I totally forgot. Right. But yeah, you and I would yeah. agree. And again, if you look through, if you use Olympic lifting as your frame of reference for overall GPP, then you might look at circuit work, bodybuilding work, so on and so forth as like less relevant. And I don't agree with that. Yeah. So yeah, you have to sort of free yourself. Like again, I think all of these different factions of the fitness industry have great qualities, things that you can take from and use. But at the end of the day, our clients want to move better, feel better, maybe burn some calories, lose some weight. What is the fastest, safest, and most efficient way that I can do that? Those are the tools and the strategies that I'm going to use. Yep. If Olympic lifting somehow falls into that, which it wouldn't, well, let's say it did, I would use Olympic lifting. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the ironic thing is, is that if you were a pretty good Olympic lifter, that in and of itself could be a great GPP like method like mm-hmm. if you can snatch front squat overhead squat clean jerk all that stuff like you really wouldn't need to do a whole lot else but it's a matter of how you get there right and it's such which is tricky an investment to be decent at any of those lifts right such an investment so again that's where we're talking about risk versus reward cost benefit mm-hmm. that whole thing so on the one hand like I could make fun of the guy who spends, you know, three hours of his, you know, weekend just doing Olympic lifting. And, and I will make fun of that person. But, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, okay, if you've invested the time and energy to master that craft and you enjoy it, that's probably all you need to do. Sure. But it's a matter of getting there. And for the vast majority of people... It's uh, the juice ain't worth the squeeze. Right. Yeah. I would say, uh, never mind. I'm not going to say it, but yeah. 
Yeah. I think Olympic lifting is cool, but there is a massive investment of time and energy to get good at it to make it worth your while. Right. right. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, anything to wrap up on from there? Uh, no. I don't think so. Uh, nope. Well, we've got next week. Tracy? Tracy Cook. Bro. On the show. That'll be awesome. I'm excited. Live and in person. So she'll be here. Um, we've got our gal Megan, who is a nutritionist. Uh, nutrition extraordinaire, who is a local here in town. She'll be joining us next month. March 14th, right? I do believe. <clears throat> yeah. I remember because it's the day after my birthday. That's right. We'll have to yeah. celebrate. And we've got a whole host of other fun guests coming down the pipeline that we are working on. So with that, thanks again to Zahn's Brewing. And what does is, what is the motto say? For a masterfully designed beer, say Zahn's. 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 What do I say? Uh, well, I just said it. Zahn's. <laughs> I thought you were you said say Zahn's, and I said oh. Zahn's. Oh, got it. Yes, I, that went <laughs> completely over my head. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Um, so again, thanks to Ken, Janine, and the whole crew here for the hospitality, for the space. This is truly amazing, especially as it starts getting, as it starts staying lighter out longer. I was about to say. And the weather is nicer. It's not dark when we're leaving. It's very nice. It's, it's, I'm, I'm pumped about it. It's great. And then we'll be able to sit outside when the weather gets nice. Right. Bro, I'm right. excited about that. Yeah. So again, thank you so much for listening wishing you all the best in your training and this this should go without saying but if you take the time to listen to this podcast not only do we sincerely appreciate your listenership but any sort of feedback or any sort of questions you might have for us we always love to hear it yeah so feel free to reach out wherever you can find especially us. for like topics if there's like stuff that people are like i want you to talk about blank okay Awesome. Otherwise, Zach and I are going to just kind of come in here and drink beer and shoot the shit for an hour <laughs> with no, no guideline. It's taken us this far. Yeah. Well, A to Z, no BS. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye.